And then this evening, uh, I will be preaching from Daniel chapter 2, and we will uh, look at verses 1 through 13. Uh, on Friday, I got a phone call mid-morning. Uh, Richard Winston called and said he was in town. He had broken his glasses, needed to get them fixed, and asked if I had a, some time to have brunch with him. So we met and and I got to eat with Richard, which is fun because he's not going to have his installation service, and so I won't get to see him uh, later in this month. And uh, as we were eating and, and talking, uh, I asked him, I said, now, have you preached through Daniel? And he said, yeah, a couple years ago, a few years ago. Oh, well, repetition might be good then. I, uh, I got started almost by accident on it, and uh, and I've been having so much fun that I've, I've kept going. And uh, but we'll, we'll keep going at least for a couple more weeks as, uh, as we've been looking at Daniel when I was here uh, a few weeks ago. We looked at chapter 1 uh, a couple different times and now we'll move to chapter 2. Uh, Daniel has proven himself faithful uh, in chapter 1 by rejecting the king's food, being faithful to uh, the Lord his God, the Lord our God, and God blessed him. In that, And so now we'll come to the next situation here, and it involves King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it's Daniel 2. I'll begin at verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation." The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation." They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was very angry, 
and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look at it, Lord, we pray that you will speak to our hearts, that your truth will grow in our hearts, Lord, and that we will be firm in what it is you're saying to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in, I think it started in 2000, uh, there was a guy on the radio, uh, and this was, I don't know if he was around here, I was living elsewhere at the time, and he was the dream doctor. I don't know if you uh, were ever have ever heard the dream doctor. And he would interpret dreams, and, and he, he wasn't any, it wasn't mystical or anything crazy like that. He wasn't trying to predict the future, but people would call in with dreams, and he would talk them through and and usually the people would call in because they were freaked out by their dreams it, it was something that was so bizarre or scary or or maybe a, a person that they hadn't thought of in years all of a sudden in their dream and and it frightened them a little bit that was most often the case and he would talk them through it. And he was interesting to listen to. He had a good sense of humor. I believe he, he passed away in 2011, maybe. And, and at a young age, I think he was 49. Uh, but he had this winsome way about him. And he would joke a little bit. As, he's, as they would describe these dramatic dreams and all kinds of imagery. And, and you could just hear in their voices the, the tenseness and... And he would kind of draw it out of them a little bit. Oh, really? And, and, and act surprised and, and joke with them. But then, then he would start to, he would say, okay, before we go any further, tell me about, and then he would name something. Tell me about your job. And then the person would most often say, almost with the first question, oh, yeah, let me tell you what happened there. Or else he would ask a question, is there a big responsibility you're taking on? And, and almost always the person would answer with something big. Uh, yeah, uh, we're pregnant. Or yes, we're buying a house. He, he was able to zero in on what the anxiety was. And, and he knew uh, the imagery of, of dreams and, and, uh, and could talk them through it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, as we look at him, he, he needs a dream doctor. He needs someone to help him here because he's got this dream that's given him all kinds of problems. And we know from external sources, just from history, that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he was building his kingdom as much as he could. He could and, and his expansionist policy, if you want to call it that, was met quite often with some pretty fierce resistance. And so you can imagine Nebuchadnezzar would spend a lot of time thinking about his kingdom, especially in times of resistance or in times of stress. 
And in ancient times, they saw special significance in dreams quite often. A lot of times we'll have a dream and just think, well, that was wacky, or I've never eaten that before bad again, or whatever uh, we might think. But in ancient times, they saw significance in dreams. And we do see in Scripture, when dreams are recorded, that God is revealing something. There was Joseph. Uh, In fact, Joseph of the Old Testament and Joseph of the New Testament, both of them had dreams and God was telling them something through the dreams. And and there are others here. And and we can see with this dream that gets recorded in Scripture, God is trying to tell Nebuchadnezzar something. And we get this idea that he's having recurring dreams when we uh, look at what's going on with him. In verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, it's plural, dreams. His spirit was troubled, his sleep left him. We get this idea of him thinking and and then falling asleep and then waking up again because of of the the dreams. Now, later on in verse 3, he uses the singular, a dream, and so maybe he was having dreamed this one dream but in different parts because it is a complex dream that he has when, when Daniel finally interprets it. There's a lot to it. But it's a dream that's keeping him awake at night. And so he commanded that the magicians and enchanters and sorcerers and Chaldeans be brought in so that they can tell him what this dream is about. It's giving him this foreboding feeling. Now, the question is, and theologians like to debate these kinds of things that don't really matter, but the question becomes, does Nebuchadnezzar actually remember the dream or does he need them to tell the dream because he's got a few fuzzy parts, but he can't quite get it all together? And, and if you think through that, you may go back and forth. At some points you read and you think, oh yeah, he knows his dream. At other points you start to think, I don't think he remembers his dream. He needs someone to tell him what this is, but, but he knows it involves his kingdom. There's this foreboding feeling. Uh, if he doesn't know what the dream is, he really wants to know. If he does know, uh, then what he's doing is making sure that the other people that he's coming to, that are his counselors, his magicians, that they actually know so that they can give him the correct interpretation. Uh, he doesn't want the, the, the wool being pulled over his eyes as they just make up things on the fly. Uh, but but he ha- he's having these dreams. Now we remember that Nebuchadnezzar is living for his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar's building his world, and it's all about himself. And there's two features that we see in Nebuchadnezzar with how he interacts with these people that really illustrate the truth about those who live apart from God and have plans and purposes and dreams apart from God. One of those is hostility. And we see in Nebuchadnezzar hostility. When you look at verse 5, he talks about if they can't 
tell him the dream and its interpretation. They're going to be torn limb from limb. And your house is laid in ruins. Uh, in verse 9, there will be one sentence, if, if you can't tell me the dream, one sentence for you when we get to verse 13, kill you. That, that's it. I'm going to kill you. In fact, uh, limb from limb, I'll have people tear you. If you cannot tell me this dream, it's very hostile. He's certainly not at peace with himself. So he's going to take it out on someone else. That's what hostile people do. Someone is going to be to blame, but it won't be him. And if he's not at peace with himself, he's not going to be at peace with anyone. And he's not really going to trust anyone. If you can't tell me what the dream is, then I know what you're up to, guys. You're just going to, when something happens, you'll say, oh, that's it. Yep, that's what we were talking about. He's not going to trust anyone. And when you don't trust anyone, fear and hostility become your allies. He's fearful, but he's going to take that fear out on them. You need to be fearful. And he's hostile towards them. And he shows them really no grace. In verse 5, the word from me is I will show you no grace in this. You have to tell me. So they answer a second time. Let the king tell his servants the dream will show its interpretation. And, and that's when he, he says, I know what you're trying to do. You're just trying to gain time. You've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. You're all against me. And here's another thing we see with people who are not at peace with themselves. Insecurity. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had everything. Everything a person could dream of, at least a king could dream of. He had power, increasing power. He had fame. Everybody knew Nebuchadnezzar. He had influence. He had this great empire. In fact, as this was happening, they were building the famous Babylonian hanging gardens, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He was doing things that everyone else in the world looked at and thought, wow, that king is doing something. And he's building some impressive things. And here is this king who has everything that a king could want, but he has a dream. And this dream fills him with anxiety. A dream. You know, it's one thing if it's a young child and they wake up and you just had a dream. Here's the king and this dream is so troubling. And it really reveals his insecurity. You know, I, uh, I don't know if you've ever had that thing where you've woken up, you've had a dream, and then you're angry at someone because of something they did in your dream. You know, I, I remember the first time we dealt with this, our, our first daughter, and she was about three. I think she was just about to turn three. And, and I would come home and... and they had done things, my daughter and my wife had done things during the day. And so 
uh, she would tell me about it once in a while. And, and one time I came home and she, she was still napping. And then she got up and, and I asked, you know, what you were doing. And, and she said something that seemed strange. I'm, oh, that's weird. Okay, you know, but explain this. And then she turned to me and she said, and dad, I don't know why you were laughing at me. I was laughing at you? He said, yes, you and that, that other lady, you were laughing at me. I said, now where were we when this happened? And she couldn't really tell me where it was, but she could kind of describe it. And I'm really confused because I don't recall this place. And finally, Erica, my wife, she said, wait a minute, Miranda, do you know what a dream is? No. Okay, well then you had to try to explain a dream to a three-year-old and that didn't go well either. But, but just this idea that, that she was angry with me because of this dream that she had. And, and, and when you're three, that's one thing. But when you're a king, and you know what dreams are about, and this dream fills him with that kind of anxiety, and, and we get this guy who's living exclusively for this world, and that's why this is bothering him so much. He's living for this world and this dream has revealed that his world might not be as secure as he thinks it is. Jesus talks about it in Mark 4, about not being caught up in the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. And that's where Nebuchadnezzar is. The cares of the world, riches, and, and we all know, even kings know, riches are deceitful. And they can go quickly. We can plan and we can do all sorts of things to try to make our future as secure as possible, but we all know that things change in a hurry. And he's living for this world and it's destroying his peace, it's destroying his security. And he's asking for something that's impossible. And they point out, out to him, they said, King, there's really no one on earth that can do what you're asking us to do. And there's not even another king that would ask anybody to do what you're asking us to do. We can't do it. What you're asking is difficult. And as it says in verse 11, no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now here's these magicians and enchanters and and it's interesting, they're really wrong and, and also right both at the same time. Their theology is all wrong. Uh, they're talking gods, uh, some polytheistic thing. Um, but they are right in this, that it will take an act of God to reveal this dream. It will take an act of God to let somebody know what's going on in Nebuchadnezzar's head. But they said, we can't do this. Nobody can. And then they try to push the problem off. You notice that? Their dwelling is not even with flesh. You're asking us to do what only these gods can do, and they're not even around us. Well, we know that God is with us, and we know there's one true God. So they're a little right, but they're a lot wrong. But as I mentioned, right in the fact that if this is going to happen, it will take an act of God. 
And then notice in verse 12 that because of this, the king was angry and very furious. They just told him the truth. Uh, you know, a little twisted version of the truth. They don't really know the truth themselves, but, but they did tell him the truth as they know it. We can't do this. We cannot do this. This is going to take an act of, of something other than us. And the king is furious at that answer. And that's always one of those places where I stop and I say, why would he get so furious with that answer when they're really telling him a lot of the truth? They, they got their theology wrong, but they're right in that it's going to take God to do this. Why is he so furious? And then we start to get to the heart of the matter here. He's got a deep-rooted hostility towards God because he wants to be God. He's building his kingdom. He wants to be the God who can be in charge of everything. 19th century German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche once said, if there is a God, how can I bear not to be that God? And that's exactly Nebuchadnezzar's attitude. If there's a God, well, it must be me, right? Because I'm the most powerful guy. And even if he's willing to concede, okay, maybe I'm not God. Maybe there is another God. Or in his mind, he would have thought other gods. Then he would be furious because he can't manipulate those gods. He's got the best guys on the job. He's got the magicians and the sorcerers and the enchanters. He's got the best guys to manipulate this, these gods that they're talking about. And he can't manipulate God. Now something is to be said about their gods. Of course, they're false gods. And you really can't manipulate false gods because they don't know anything. If, if you think a little further, you think, what a, what a great time this would have been for Satan to tell one of them what was going on in Nebuchadnezzar's head. But Satan doesn't know either. He could have really thrown a wrench in this whole story. But he's limited in what he knows. Only God can do this, and Nebuchadnezzar is ill-prepared to allow God to be God and to show himself to be the Lord. And he's hostile, and he's insecure. He's showing no grace. He's disrespectful. He's asking for the impossible. He's overreacting. He's not at peace with himself. He'll never be at peace with the others. And we have moments where we can be like that. Where sometimes the hostility gets the best of us. Sometimes our insecurities come out and we take that on someone else. And then we start asking for the impossible from them. I hate when I catch myself doing this. I will ask for the impossible just as an excuse so I can get mad at them when they can't do it then. Overreact. Not show grace. And those are the times we have to step back and think, why? Why am I acting this way? When I know the words of God, 
Romans 5. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand in grace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is his kingdom and I have peace with him because Christ died for my sins and Christ made me righteous. And I'm not living for this world. And I'm not trying to build my kingdom. And I can have peace with myself because I have peace with God. And I'm not struggling to get peace with God. Salvation is already there. Christ has paid the price. And God has shown his love and his mercy through Jesus. And I can show love and mercy to others because this is his kingdom. The fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, love, joy, peace, kindness, gladness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that should dominate our lives. But when we start living for our own world, for our own kingdoms. These are the things that slip away too quickly. May we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God as it's written. And may we be graceful because of all the grace we've received from our gracious Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that we really don't have to struggle for salvation because Christ has done it all. He died for our sins. He lived the perfectly righteous life that is ours, Lord. And so we can live for your kingdom. We can live with the fruits of your spirit. Help us be gracious and loving and merciful as you've shown us and as you teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And then you can stand and we'll turn to hymn 448 and we'll sing verses 1 and 4. <clears throat>